All right. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles located in the chairs in front of you, it's going to be on page uh, 957. Today marks the last Sunday of the year. For those of you who needed to know that, all right, this is the last Sunday. And as I've done the last two uh, last Sundays in the year, I've, I've followed Charlie Worley, who was the interim pastor before me. And, and one thing he did that I have uh, stolen from him, quite maliciously stolen from him, uh, is to, on this last Sunday, give special care to look towards the new year and to take advantage of the opportunities that we have with the new year. You know, we have New Year's resolutions. It's a time that you get a fresh start. And we need to take opportunity. We need to take that opportunity and say, what is God calling me to do in 2015? Now, there are many of us who are just sort of freaked out that we made it to 2015, but let alone... But what is 2015 going to look like? How am I going to serve God in a greater way this year? And again, we have the opportunity of this fresh start to look honestly at our lives and to compare that to what God has called us to in Scripture. And so today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 19, partly because it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible when it comes to understanding how I live my life. So, so when I was in college, uh, for whatever reason, a lot of my friends loved ice skating. Now, it might have been the high Canadian amount of friends that I had, I don't know, but let me just share you a little, little bit of truth into my life. Anytime you get me off my feet, you're in trouble, including on ice skates. You know, grew up most of my life in the frozen north of Michigan, but still, it's bad when you get me on a pair of ice skates. Like, it's, it's, it's almost tragic how terrible and how little balance I have when you get me on those things. But so my friend group in college was always saying, hey, let's go ice skating. And I would, just, I would just prepare myself. Okay, here it comes. Here comes the ice skating invitation. And when they, they'd spit it out of their mouths, I'd be like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> Internally, I was saying, I'm going to be so sore in the morning. <laughs> yes, it was that bad. But... Early on in my life, and I don't know where I got it from, it wasn't original to me, but the idea of a way to show love to someone is to do something you don't want to do, and maybe even better, something you cannot or you're really bad at. That to do that for the other person, to do that with the other person, that has been something that has been sort of a guiding principle 
for how I live, that if I can do something that you want to do that I am terrible at, you will be shown the love that I have for you. And I think in Scripture we find that principle to be true in 1 Corinthians 9. Because we're going to see that we're called to be servants of all people so that there are no barriers between them and hearing the gospel. That for the sake of them hearing about Jesus, that we are to serve other people in a very sacrificial way. And again, if you're following along in your outline located in your bulletin, you're going to see our big idea there, that we are called to sacrificially serve all people so that some will believe the gospel. So let's read uh, verse 19. Matt, I'll put it up on the screen there. So follow along as I read. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And what's nice also about this verse is it's short enough that you can memorize it. (laughs) Hint, hint, wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And so we're going to look at this in two parts. And the first one is serving all. Again, the first part of the verse. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. And in Seeing Paul calling us to serve all people, the first thing I want us to see is that he uses his freedom to serve. Again, look at the beginning of that verse here. For though I am free from all. Paul has freedom. Paul has the freedom to live his life in the way that he wants to live his life. We also know that as a believer in Christ, he has freedom from sin. And he's been set free from his sin. But the question arises is, what are you going to do with the freedom that you have? Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, here's the question to us, is is what are we going to do with the freedom that we have, are we going to serve ourselves or are we going to serve others? What are you going to do with your life? Are you going to use it for yourself or are you going to use it for the betterment of others and the glory of God? That we are called to not waste the freedom in Christ that we have that we are called to use that freedom to serve others. And and let me just say this, that that this morning we're going to be focusing on our relationships with unbelievers, but a lot of what I'm going to say 
completely relates to how we should relate to one another as believers in Jesus. Okay, so the focus of this chapter is on relating to those who do not know Jesus, but don't think that you, ne- you can treat your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ like garbage. <laughs> okay, go back to chapter 8, that focuses more on that. There's your reading for the week. You're welcome. But, but we need to see that, that we can't just live for ourselves. We can't waste the freedom that we have in Christ on ourselves. We have to use it for the good of others. And, and don't, miss, don't miss a very strong word here. That he made himself a servant to all. Okay, I think sometimes we've domesticated the word serve. I think sometimes we've made it a little less hard than it really should be. Because in this word we see not just I'll help you out if I have time, if I get around to it, maybe kind of, sort of. We can't miss that serving someone is hard work. That being a servant is not pleasant most of the time. And so when we look, when we look at servants and we understand that this is how we are supposed to help one another, there's a sacrificial component that we can't forget. That I am to live for you sacrificially for your good and for God's glory. Again, this helps us understand how high the standard is. That God is calling us to a radically different life. Again, you are not going to hear this message preached out in, in, in advertising out on TV. <laughs> I mean, this is totally against our culture. This is a totally against most, if not all, cultures. But I am radically to serve others for their good and for God's glory. But, but how is he going to serve? For that, I want to drop down to verses 20 and the beginning of verse 22. He says this, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. And so one thing we need to see in in, in what does it mean to serve others is that Sometimes that means we have to change. That in my serving you, sometimes it will call on me to change how I live. That Paul, according to who he was ministering to, changed how he lived. 
But notice it was according to their needs. That he saw a need in them and he changed accordingly. That, that his actions were dictated by the needs of those he was ministering to. Again, this kills any selfishness we have. That I have to think about the other person when I act. I mean, if, if, it's a simple thing to, to, to mentally understand, but to live that out daily, that takes discipline. To be thinking about the good of others in how I act. Again, this is, it's contrary to our nature. But it's what God is calling us to do. But we also see a concern for those who need help, those who are less mature. In verse 22, he says, I became weak that I might win the weak. This idea of weak is, a different, is used differently in different contexts, but the idea here is that for one reason or another, this person has a weak conscience or is immature. And the idea being that there is gentleness and care involved in serving the weak. And that we are called to those people. Again, there's a boldness that we are called to, to have as Christians, but there is also a gentleness and a care for others that we're called to do. There's a strong gentleness that the mature Christian has to have and has to grow in their own lives. But we also see in this list that Paul changes to minister to his enemies. Specifically, when he begins the list, he says, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. Now let's think about this. Paul was himself ethnically Jewish, and so we see his heart for the Jewish people, for his countrymen, for those who were in the same ethnic group. But throughout the book of Acts, we also see Jews who did not believe in Jesus causing trouble for Paul at almost every city he went to. In fact, there are some stories in Acts where they follow him from city to city just to cause trouble for him. And he says, for those people, for those people, I will serve them so that they can hear the gospel and believe in Jesus. Again, do you see the standard of our conduct being raised here? That we are called to even serve our enemies so that they can hear the gospel of Jesus. In our current context, maybe we would say to the Muslim, I became like a Muslim to win the Muslims. Have you ever asked God to show you how to do that? God, how can I love my Muslim neighbor so that they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you have room in your heart for the Muslim? 
Do you have room in your heart for the immigrant? Are you willing to change how you live so as to share the gospel with them? I want to give a couple examples of how this works out in our daily lives. I know a missionary family who serves in Jordan, a Muslim context, and they, one of the things they do is they refrain from eating pork. They have every right in Christ to eat pork. But they don't for the whole time they're in Jordan. Now, when they come back to the States, the first thing they do is they go get a pork sandwich, which I don't blame them. They're delicious. But, again, they change where they don't need to change. If they ate pork, that's not a sin, right? There's nothing wrong with that, but they change their lives to better minister to those around them. Famously, Hudson Taylor was one of the first missionaries when he went to China to dress like those to whom he was ministering. And you can go online and you can see pictures. And this, at his time, this was 1800s, early 1900s, missionaries were not doing this. He was one of the first to do this. But he adopted the dress of the local people to whom he was ministering so he could better share the gospel with them. Uh, My senior thesis was on Jesuit missionaries in Canada. And one of the documents that we have recorded uh, from these missionaries is to tell a Jesuit missionary how to ride in a canoe. There's a whole document about what socks you should wear, what hat you should wear. This is the funny one. They're like, wear a small hat so you don't block the view of the people guiding the canoe. Because apparently they had some big hats and some small hats. They had some nice hats. It was great. But again, these are just little ways. Again, not just thinking about what I want, what I need, but thinking about what's better for the person I'm trying to share the gospel with. It's a radical way of life, but it's the one that we're called to. That God is calling us to love in a way that that he loves us. That we are called to sacrificially love others. And in the second part of verse 19, Paul shares his motivation of why is it worth it to change? Why is it worth it to sacrificially serve others? Look at the second part of verse 19 there. That I might win more of them. That word that there is a purpose word. Very common word in your Bible. And he's saying that the purpose for being a servant to all is not so people will like me and think that, oh, look how cultural he is. He can, you know, he can mix and match with any culture out there. No, the reason, the purpose of doing all that hard work is that he might win more of them. And what he means by win there is that he might share the gospel with them and they might believe, repent of their sin, and find forgiveness and eternal life with Jesus Christ. That's what he means by win there. It doesn't mean win an argument, okay? 
because I'm pretty sure the Apostle Paul won every argument he ever had. Um, <laughs> he was a smart guy. But what it means is that through his preaching, they would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That this is what drives him. He repeats it again in verse 22. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. That some believing the gospel is worth the hard work of changing and serving. And we have to ask ourselves, we have to be honest with ourselves, is that my value? Am I driven by the mission to share Jesus so much that I will change how I live? Because let's be honest, changing how you live is hard. You don't want to do it. That's the reason you live that way. So you don't have to do it the other way. But we're called to serve so that someone might, maybe for the first time, hear about Jesus and be saved. And if we have a godly perspective, we know that that makes it worth it. Paul worries more about the spread of the gospel than his comfort level. He's driven more by the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ than he is about he, how he feels, how comfortable he is. And this is the hard word that God is calling us to do. To be so driven by God's glory spreading across the world that we're willing to change and be uncomfortable. Because that's all that it is a lot of the times, is being uncomfortable. <laughs> and isn't our being uncomfortable worth the salvation and eternal life of people we know? See, when we put it that way, <laughs> we know the right answer, but the hard part is living it out. This is, this is the life of being a follower of Jesus. It's not always easy, but it's always best. And the Apostle Paul knows that it's difficult. Because in the verses following, he's going to use a metaphor of athletic training to help us understand. Let me read verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Again, the Apostle Paul gets that what he's saying is difficult, and he compares it to being an Olympic athlete. 
Okay, I want you to think about the last time. I don't know if you guys are big Olympic watchers, uh, but the Olympic athletes are in pretty good shape. Okay, spoiler alert to those who don't usually watch the Olympics. Um, But that takes a singular discipline. Okay, the Olympic athletes don't just run through McDonald's on their way to practice. (laughs) They probably haven't eaten McDonald's for like 20 years, if they're 20 years old. All right. But again, this is the metaphor that God chooses for our lives as believers. So one, it's a recognition that it's not going to be easy. You're not always going to wake up and be like, woo, I get to serve people sacrificially today. Just like when I wake up, I'm not, ooh, let me run five miles today. Okay, I'm never really like that. But anyway, that's besides the point. But there's a recognition, and it's okay. It's okay to be tired. But God's calling us to persevere through the hard. Persevere through sometimes being tired to do what he's called us to do. And that in the same way, An Olympic athlete controls his diet, controls his exercise, controls his life around competing, around racing the race, right? His whole life is about that one thing. So too, our life is around that one thing, making disciples of Jesus Christ. Just like the athlete has focus and discipline, so too we are called to focus and discipline. But the Olympic athlete only gets a gold medal. He only gets a little circle made out of gold that he can wear around his neck. And that doesn't last. But we run the race out of the hope of eternal life, which never perishes and never fades away. It is so much better. So if the athlete does all of that for something that's going to waste away, how much more should we run for the hope of eternal life for us and those we minister to. We're running after a better prize. We're attempting to show people something better, something perfect, and something eternal. And that's why we can serve and we can serve sacrificially. So again, thinking about 2015. Over this next couple weeks, I want you to be thinking about ways that you ways that you need to change. Ways that you need to focus on the goal 
of making disciples of Jesus Christ. As usual, I want to give a couple examples just to stimulate your thinking. I know this is not all that could be said, but let me give you a couple. And I think this is a big one. Number one is, do we need to change our schedules to make more room for ministering to our unbelieving friends and family? Can we admit that the biggest barrier to doing the right thing is often not feeling like we have enough time to do it? Do we need to make our lives more simple so that we can do more ministry? I was talking to somebody two weeks ago now about doing meals, about doing fellowship meals with with other people in the church And and I I was able to share with this person about doing meals with people in your community who don't know Jesus. That both are brilliant. What a wonderful way to actually get to know the person sitting next to you in the chairs this morning than having them over for dinner and into your house. What better way to show you care for your unbelieving friend than having them for dinner in your house? Don't forget the importance of hospitality. And making time and actually scheduling hospitality. Number two. Number two is our first ring of evangelism in this church. And that's our kids. If you're not involved in some way in our children's ministry, I would encourage you I wish I could have a stronger word than encourage Um, I encourage you to to say I will do it I will help out because just because a kid's born into a Christian family doesn't make him a Christian and so for some we have the opportunity to share Jesus with them for the first time And if we don't witness to our kids, why in the world would we think that we'd witness to anybody else out in the community? We have a captive audience. We make them go to those rooms and we make them sit there. I can't do that with people out in the community. I can't like make a room and be like, you go sit in that room for an hour. (laughs) I wish I could. That would be awesome. We have a captive audience. And we need to understand that our kids are our first ring of evangelism. That it begins with praying over the kids in the nursery. That those, those little babies who aren't running around or maybe the ones that are running around, <laughs> praying for them. And as they go up to Sunday school and children's church that we are sharing the stories out of the Bible, we are telling them the story of Jesus. And as they get older and older and as the, as the conversations get a little more mature, the goal is still the same, that we are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ crucified, died, and resurrected for their sin and for the hope of eternal life. That's why I talk about children's ministry a lot. Because we need to share them with our kids. 
Third, I think one big step is just owning something. Just resolving with you or with your spouse, I'm just going to do this. And just saying, I'm not going to put this off till tomorrow. I'm not going to put this off till when my schedule frees up. Which for some of us, it feels like every time we say that, six months later, there's something else. (laughs) I mean, have you ever thought how many times you've said that in your life? I'm a little too busy right now. Now, I know, I know there's a lot of things going on. But I think you need to be honest with yourself of do we use our busyness as an excuse to do what God has called us to do? That's what I'm saying. Number four, being driven by the mission of the church. You know, we have our mission statement out there that we exist to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you use that summary to make decisions? I think you should, and I think the Bible is saying that you should. Because that's the mission we're called to do. Number six, these verses mean a strong commitment to missions, both domestically and globally. That we're to serve all people, not just people in our community, not just people in our country, not just people who have the same color skin as we do. All people. From, from Washington to Chad to Indonesia to Turkey to all over. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but in the map that my sister put up, it's the red dots were unreached. The green dots were reached. The yellow dots were almost unreached. And I don't know how many of you could see how many yellow dots there were in Europe. That there are places, and come on, we're thinking places that have heard the gospel, but there are some places in Europe that are close, a couple percentage points away from being viewed as an unreached people group. There is a need to go everywhere and even to the hardest parts of the world. And seven, and lastly, I'll I'll close here. It means a commitment to the needs of others. It's putting to death our selfish hearts and caring deeply about the needs of others, being others-focused in our lives. And to the point of where we actually change because of the needs of others. We're going to end with the song, Take My Life, and the chorus goes like this. Take my life and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will and conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord. And, and shouldn't that be our prayer? That we would pray that God would conform our hearts to his heart. To love the way that he loves 
to, to desire deeply sharing the gospel with those who do not know Jesus. But we need him to conform and transform our wills so that we do desire that. And as we do that, God will be faithful and use us to bring salvation to those who are lost and separated from him. That this year, we would commit ourselves to sacrificially serving all people so that some will hear and believe the gospel. Would that be our prayer for 2015, individually and as a church? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this text. God, that you would use this to convict us where we need conviction, to challenge us where we need challenge, and to give us comfort where we need comfort. God, that we would be driven to serve others for the sake of the gospel, that we would be concerned more about people believing in Jesus than our own comfort level, and that we would be dedicated to sacrificially serving one another and serving our community. God, help us to make the decisions we need to make to make time to make your mission our mission and your priorities our priorities. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.